Welcome to Season 2 of Fracktown Gumshoe, Holy Fits, based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill. Chapter 12 I stood in the kitchen doorway, staring at her. Unaware of my presence, Fiona gazed out the back door into Gracie's flower garden. She took a swig from the flask and sighed deeply. What was going through her head? What was she thinking when she left Pittsburgh and came here? Was she thinking of her dead husband? I would be. I understood why SAC Reisner pulled her off the case. Despite the claim that she could separate personal from professional, she didn't need to be working this murder. There's no way I could have functioned rationally if someone killed my Gracie. I'd be out of my head crazy, and I'd have to be restrained from going out and finding the bastard myself, much like Reisner had done with Fiona. All the more reason to treat her with kid gloves. Until I could get the chance to talk more in depth with Reisner, I really had no idea what I was dealing with. If, as Reisner said, they wanted to keep Fiona away from anything to do with Mark's death, something must have happened to get her back in the loop. Maybe Mary Margaret's call about St. Giles inadvertently went to Fiona's phone. Fiona said she never talked to Mary Margaret. She must have just received the message, packed up, and came here. I shook my head. If she loved Mark Rafferty like I loved Gracie, it's not a surprise. Like she said, he was willing to pick up the mess I left behind. That alone made the guy pretty special. But I didn't trust her, not like when she was my partner, and especially if Reisner was looking for her. Did she realize what she was doing by going rogue like this? Did she realize she was not just putting her life, but her career at risk by coming here? What if Benedict St. Giles really was Jeff Kovach, the man who shot her husband? She wouldn't admit it, but I saw St. Giles' reaction when she identified herself as Susan Bukowski. It was a poor way to tip her hand. It put him on notice he was being watched. I could see through her disguise, but could he? Did he recognize her through the wig and glasses today? I stepped in the kitchen as she wiped a tear from her eye. I cleared my throat and she turned back to look at me. I'm sorry, this is embarrassing. She wiped her eyes again and gave a short, uncomfortable laugh. I crouched in front of her chair and took the flask from her hand, putting it on the floor beside me. I rested my fists on her knees. Listen, Fee. I know what it's like to live with the loss of someone who I love. I miss my dad every day. I also know what it's like to be on the other end of a pistol, staring death in the face. Fiona's eyes filled with tears again and she squeezed them shut, her chin quivering. She turned her face away from me. Fee, look at me. What do you think you're doing? You can't go after this guy alone. I can't go after him alone either. It's too dangerous. You of all people should know that. He could kill both of us and Eileen O'Connor. I'm not trained to get that old lady out of there like SEAL Team 6 going after Osama bin Laden. And if you really did work in Cleveland's hostage rescue team, her head snapped back, her jaw firm, her eyes blazing. You still don't believe me, do you? I didn't say that. What I was trying to say was the two of us can't go in there and expect positive results. We need someone on the inside, she said. I stopped short of telling her about Tate Slocum. I hadn't heard from him, and frankly didn't expect to. Until Fiona arrived, I'd planned to sit outside his house overnight to make sure he didn't flee. By now, if he was anything like a lot of the scumbags I dealt with, he was probably halfway to the state line. Alicia would be pissed, but I was betting I could hand her St. Giles in exchange to placate her. Who could do that? I asked, hoping I sounded sincere. I could. Fiona, no. That's even more nuts. Why? He didn't recognize me this morning. I know he didn't. I saw something in his eyes when he said your name was Susan Bukowski. Nah, he didn't. 
Fiona waved her hand dismissively. I'm not arguing with you. I know what I saw. I rocked back on my heels and stood up, handing her the silver flask. I remembered my conversation with Reisner. What's your boss say about you being here? I asked. Fiona lifted her chin. He sent me out here to scope out what's going on. I check in with him daily. Bullshit. No, Fitz, it's the truth. Bullshit. You expect me to believe he wouldn't have any problem with you going in and, what was the word you used, extracting Eileen O'Connor? Those were just idle thoughts. I'm supposed to clear everything through him. Bullshit. Again, why don't you tell me what the hell is going on? If this was truly an assignment from your boss, you and half of the Pittsburgh office would be here armed to the teeth. If it involved a murdered agent, that Abby, as he calls it, would be surrounded by equipment and firepower. Folks would think they were in Fallujah. In fact, the fact that you're here by yourself tells me you're not telling the truth. I am. You're not. Everything you just told me is pure, unadulterated bullshit. As a federal agent, I don't have to tell you shit, Fitz. As far as you're concerned, everything is on a need-to-know basis right now, and you don't need to know anything. Excuse the hell out of me, but I've got my former partner. Ignore the fact that we are engaged. My partner's sitting here slugging bourbon out of a flask, talking about crazy hostage rescues, and avoiding telling me everything I need to know about where she's been for the last 20 years. All I want to know is what you're doing in my hometown and the real reason why you're sticking your nose in my case. The sting of the slap took me back a step. I rubbed my cheek, shaking my head sadly. Is that the way it's going to be between us, Fiona? Is that the way you want it to be? I've been upfront with you, tried to apologize for everything that's happened in the past, and this is how you treat me? All I've asked is for you to be truthful with me, and what do I get? I didn't hear her answer as she ran from the house. It was nearly 10 before I parked down the block from Slocum's house. If he was going to run, he'd have to come right past me and I'd nail him right then. As I watched, the lights went out in the living room and on in the bedroom. Within a few minutes, the lights went out in the bedroom too. I hoped Slocum wasn't trying to pack a suitcase and leave. I pulled out my thermos and poured myself a cup of coffee. This was going to be a long night, but not too late to catch up with Bill Reisner. The phone rang twice before he answered. Reisner? Agent Reisner, this is Niccolo Fixiu calling you back. I hope it's not too late. Reisner cut right to the chase. No, it's not. So Agent Rafferty is with you in Fawcettville, Ohio? She showed up in my office. My assistant called her about a particular case I'm working. But yes, she's staying here in a hotel in town. I see. Why do you think she has a particular interest in your case? Quickly, I filled him in on the details of Eileen O'Connor this time leaving nothing out, as I had for Detective Barnes. I included Father O'Malley's death, including his probable cholesterol test, St. Giles' visit to the office, and finished with a confrontation at the Abbey this morning. Reisner was silent for a moment. We've had some concerns for some time now that Agent Rafferty might not be coping well with the death of her husband. She refused to take time off, insisting on coming back to work within a few days of the funeral. That was part of the reason why I put her on the financial crimes desk. I could keep an eye on her. What you've told me makes me think she's going after St. Giles. Does my St. Giles sound like the same Jeff Kovacs who shot Mark Rafferty? If he's not, he's awfully close. Same M.O. of setting himself up as a priest and defrauding his followers. The same basic physical description. We need to check him out. I can be there first thing tomorrow. 
I can make sure Rafferty doesn't know I'm there. Sounds good. I've got a couple more questions. Fiona was my partner in Fossetville when she started out in law enforcement. After she left here, she said she went to the Cleveland PD, where she was on the hostage rescue team. Is that true? Reisner was silent for a moment. Not to my knowledge, but I'd have to check her personal file to be sure. I know she's never taken any training with us on hostage rescue or hostage negotiation. I'll take a look before I drive down to see you. Okay, just wondering. I rolled my eyes. Reisner was right. She was going after St. Giles. And she wouldn't think twice about putting me or some poor deluded old lady in harm's way to do it. Shit. I polished off my cup of now lukewarm coffee and started to pour myself another cup when the lights came on beneath Slocum's garage door. Quickly, I put the excursion in neutral and with my headlights off, utilized the street's slight incline to let the SUV roll into the end of his driveway. I opened the door and crouched behind it, holding the Glock with both hands. The garage door rolled open and I caught the outline of a pickup truck behind the garage light flooding the drive. Tate Slocum tossed a gym bag into the passenger seat and slid into the truck and cranked the engine. It turned over half-heartedly and the truck's headlights flooded the driveway. Still behind the SUV door, I stood cautiously, still holding the Glock in both hands. The headlights went dark and Slocum stepped from the truck, slamming the door angrily. Dude, I don't know who the hell you are, but get the fuck out of the end of my driveway. Slocum stomped towards me, gesturing and pointing like a bad white rapper with his muscular arms. I raised my Glock and aimed it at him. Recognize me now? He stopped, letting his arms fall against his sides. Shit. Yeah, so where you headed, buddy boy? Were you going to leave the state and live on the run rather than take the chance that I could get these fraud charges dismissed or at least reduced? Am I right? I stepped closer, keeping my weapons sighted on Slocum. Slocum glowered at me, clenching and unclenching his fists, but didn't answer. Get your bag. I'm going to make sure you don't disappear. I followed Slocum up to the truck. My gun pointed at him. He pulled the gym bag from the passenger side. Throw it on the ground, I commanded. Slocum glared at me and obeyed. He swore as I pushed him up against the pickup truck and searched him quickly for weapons. Then checked the bag. It had two changes of clothes, his toothbrush, and a wad of 20s held together with a thick rubber band. Enough for him to get out of town and maybe never be heard from again. I tossed the bag at him and gestured towards the excursion. Get in my car. I'm going to make sure you don't disappear. That would just ruin my whole goddamn day. This is kidnapping. You can't do this. Slocum objected. I pointed the Glock at his head. This isn't kidnapping. This is protective custody. I'm protecting you from making any stupid decisions. Slocum rolled his eyes and got in the car. Keeping my gun pointed at him, I slipped in the driver's side, and silently we headed back to my house. None of the neighbor's lights were on when Slocum and I pulled into the driveway. Keeping the gun on Slocum and holding the bag's fabric in my fist, I pushed him through the front door and up the stairs into the guest bedroom. Another benefit of having Gracie in Vienna, she would never have allowed a greaseball like Slocum into the guest bedroom. I threw the bag onto the bed. You're sleeping here tonight. In the morning, I'm going to take you to the Abbey and drop you off at the front gate. You're going to tell Benedict St. Giles that you need full-time job. Why do I need a full-time job? Because some asshole came and punctured every one of your truck tires. Slocum raised his eyebrows. They did? You're not really bright, are you? I continued. I'm going to bet that St. Giles could use somebody to do just about anything on that piece of shit Abbey of his. 
and you're going to stay until you figure out everything that's going on, and you're going to tell me everything when I pick you up at the end of the day. What if he doesn't have anything? What if he doesn't believe me? That's your problem. You need to convince him to hire you, or I go to Alicia Linerman, and you're the winner of a free stay at Youngstown State Prison. This episode is narrated by Casey Martin. Cracktown Gumshoe is based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill.